and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 51 of Strangers in a Cinema with your co-hosts Paul Anderson and Pete Wall and your producer Jack Mills. Hello guys, how are we all? Yeah, very good, well. yeah. Good to be back man. Uh, excited, let's get going. Um, I'm quite tired, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to knock this one out yeah. with extra vigour to sort of compensate for my own tiredness. Um, a lot to get through though as always, right Paul? Yes. Kicking off with something um, of the moment in the in the foyer section. Well yeah, so we, we will, before we get into the foyer, we will just let, let you know, obviously if you haven't listened before, we'll go in the foyer then we'll do our popcorn movies where we talk about films that we've seen in the week and cover off homework that we've set each other. Uh, the feature reviews this week will be The Graduate, which had a 50th anniversary re-release uh, and Christopher Nolan's highly anticipated Dunkirk. Um, but yes, Pete, let's get back to In the Foyer. Um, this weekend's just gone, I think. It may have been the weekend. It may have been a couple of days before. Uh, we have had uh, San Diego Comic-Con 2017. Mm. Um, now, far from being just about comics, um, this has recent in recent years become a launch pad for a number of film trailers. Uh, and we've been watching those this week uh, and picked some of our favourites. Um, Pete, what was your what was stand out for you? Rather than, we're not well, going to talk about all of them, but we'll just talk about a few. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be like down on on this excitement i mean i am prone to sort of feeling we watched a whole load together as you were saying and and i get i feel quite tired like after watching <laughs> there's so much sitting down and watching it's, it's not no it's not the films themselves it's the way that like comic-con type trailers are organized with all this kind of bombast and explosions yeah. and like the funny little quips that are in sort of comic book universe films they have to throw into the trailers in the dc show, films they made the them ever since a few because yeah. some of the dc films have been awful i think that's why but. um so yeah i mean if if i scan down the the list um the spielberg thing ready player one looks it's interesting is the wrong word and it's a bit of a redundant word but there's a lot going on there's a lot of budget trust right? me i've read over three quarters of the book, which I've since lost somewhere, so I need to find it. Was it was so good. It. I read so three quarters and then lost it. Yeah. Uh, trust me when I say there's a lot more going on in Ready Player One than meets the eye, and those pop culture references in the trailer uh, aren't just there for fun. So you saw the, the the Iron Giant there, the DeLorean from Back to the Future. I think Freddy Krueger popped into the trailer as well. Mm. And there's lots of... So I'm not going to give the game away, but Ready Player One, the Ernest Klein's novel with Spielberg's directing... I think that could be a contender for film of next year. Well, I think it, it's going to be super. It's probably then, um, fittingly, I don't know if this is a fact, but the case that you were distracted from finishing the last quarter of that book by the trappings of sort of modern world and technology. Yes, was... and I also lost it. So there's the trappings of modern technology couldn't help me find a book that I've, I've since found under the bed, so I do need to finish it. So I didn't obviously look very hard for it, but well, yes. I'll keep this going along <laughs> at a clip. Um, what do we think about the Justice League trailer? Um, that was also dropped at Comic-Con and uh, features prominently old Gal Gadot, who's just been so wonderful in Wonder Woman. And that's the thing I'm excited about because I just think she's she's got so much like movie star wattage that just seeing her in action again is going to be worth the admission yeah um, I think if there was a sound effect for a raspberry I think I might be might be playing it here I don't know I, I, don't, I just don't know whether Snyder should probably leave the leave the Justice League and the, the DC films alone because Batman vs Superman was so this is a Zack so Snyder bad. this is still a Zack joint. Snyder joint yeah, yeah. I mean um, Whedon's been called, Joss Whedon's been called in the last minute I think to finish the film because Snyder's had some uh, personal well, tragedy with his with his daughter, sadly, um, taking her own life. Um, but it mainly is a Snyder film, and I don't know. 
I just I'm still a little bit stung by Batman Superman as to whether this will be any good or not. Yeah, that was a see. that was a drag, man. So yeah, I yeah now that you've sort of pointed out or reminded me that Zack Snyder's helming this one, maybe I'm going to temper my excitement. I mean, of what there was, like I say, it's basically towards. Uh, Gal Gadot and, and like how good she was in, in Wonder Woman um, Jack what do you make of Justice League trailer? like are you excited do you feel like more in my camp where these things make you feel a bit sort of tired and not that much anticipating them or not in Paul's camp in terms of Justice League but like generally do you get excited about comic book movies uh, I would say more towards the Marvel ones yeah uh, definitely I'm not, I wasn't really into Batman v Superman it was too long it's shit it was it was yeah <laughs> took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth there um, but yeah no, I think Justice League looks good because it's got all the characters in I mean Flash really into the TV series of Flash um, so it'd be good to see him on the big screen again that's an addition right that's an addition to the big screen stuff yeah. anyway because Flash yeah. hasn't featured to this point right oh, he appears briefly in, a, yeah. in an easter egg thing in Batman Superman I think, oh okay but, yeah. and Aquaman I think uh, Jason Momoa play him pretty well um, but actually I'd probably wait until it come out on DVD to be fair yeah so not, not a glowing yeah. endorsement then no. for, for waiting for that one that's the end of this year just that's November yeah November yeah, yeah. Um, then we had Bright the Will Smith yeah Netflix I think we, we've exclusive. touched on this briefly before this this to me uh, looks it's almost like a modern day reimagining of uh, I can't and I forgive me I forget who directed the uh, I think it was an 80s film or maybe early 90s uh, Alien Nation uh, which I've only just realised the cleverness of the title to be honest it's taken me years to realise that alienation sounds like alienation but anyway it does um, and that's a video game that's James Kahn is definitely in that film um, and it kind of and basically in that film you have uh, aliens have settled on the earth and there's a partnership between a human and an alien cop and this almost looks bright looks like a fantasy version of that with yeah, um, Will yeah, Smith okay. partnering with an orc cop played by Joel Egerton. I think Bright looks kind of cool. Yeah, um, Can we just David... agree, by the way, that the pronunciation is Edgerton? Right? Edgerton, okay. Edgerton. So no Edgerton. Good sound, okay. I think. He plays, yeah, he plays an orc, he? Sorry, go ahead. Edgerton, he plays an orc. He plays oh, an orc yeah, yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah. of got a lot of prosthetic stuff yeah. going on in his face. But space. as I said, it, it looks a lot like a, a modern-day reimagine of Alien Nation. If you haven't seen Alien, or Alien Space Nation is the actual 88, name. 88, yeah, yeah I was just saying. And, and, uh, yeah, so, so check that out, Graham, definitely. And Bright Graham, looks interesting. Yeah. I said, Netflix, it's a Netflix-owned film. It's David Ayer directing, who I mostly like, with the exception of Suicide Squad, so I'm kind of looking forward to that one. What's up, what's up next on the list? Uh, the Death Note film that, again, is Netflix exclusive, the adaptation of the Japanese popular sort of manga, I think, yeah. originally. Um, which, when I was uh, living in Asia, was like a massively, massively popular zeitgeisty kind of thing. I never really took an interest in it, and now it seems to be getting... Uh, I've found that trailer quite bizarre, to be honest. It's more like a clip. It, it was more trailer, of a clip, which is, yeah. Which is not the way to do trailers. I don't know, it's been... I know Netflix have been accused of whitewashing a little bit with the casting for this, and I can kind of see that. Um, William Defoe looks to be doing the voice of, of Death Note, which should be cool. I know, yeah, we'll see. Mm. We'll um, moving along we had Kingsman The Golden Circle which is the obviously the sequel to the Kingsman film with uh, Taron Egerton in the lead role um, a film which we talked about on the show actually and I think I can't remember where you came down on it I remember just feeling that there's good action there was good action but it had some really awkward stuff like the, there was a particular joke I talked about at the time that was towards the end of the film um, which was in this terrible taste I thought I, I don't know that I can get on board with, with Matthew Vaughan and this stuff. It feels to me like um like Wanted, the Angelina Jolie movie, like smashed together with yeah. like James Bond films. 
and I don't know if that's a thing that I'm at this age maybe when I was 15 that would be more exciting yeah to I think the draw is out for me as well I mean I haven't seen Kingsman since the cinema in fairness so I will reserve judgement on that um, it's very pleased with itself. That's the yes. impression I got both from the first film and the trailer to this. Uh, uh, what's our, our friend? Sophia Bartello was in the yeah. first one. Right? I don't know if she reappears. I didn't see her in no, the I trailer for this didn't, one. No, it didn't look like it. No, She's moved on, perhaps. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. That looks quite fun. I think this might be the one I'm most excited about. It certainly, I think, was... I don't know. Ready Player One was a good trailer. Thor Ragnarok was an awesome trailer. Um, I can never pronounce his name, but Taker Watiti. Taker Watiti is certainly one of my favourite directors at the moment. So this is Hunt for the World of People. Yeah, Hunt for the World of People and, and What We Do in the Shadows as well, which we were all yeah. keen on uh, before. Really like sort of comedic ear for um, this. Yeah, new, Kiwi isn't he? Was from New Zealand. Yes, yeah. and I think uh, you know, I think the Thor of all the Marvel films, I think the ones that need to kick up the arse the most are probably the Thor films. Um, and I think if they play this for comedy, uh, Chris Hemsworth seems to be quite Chris Hemsworth fans. Mark Ruffalo seemed to have good um, good chemistry as the yeah, definitely. Hulk. You've got Jeff Goldblum here. You've got Kate Blanchett in the mix. I think this one's going to be absolute. And looking at the trailer, you've got fucking winged horses. It looks like chaos, but well, in a good way. And, and so. a couple of things. Take it easy. Has said that um, he thinks Chris Hemsworth is a very um, like competent comedic actor. So he's tried to really foreground that. Yeah. I think in this movie, which may well work to its benefit. Also, we're promised the best Chris Hemsworth physique ever committed to screen. Well, so that's, that's what we were saying off air it's not like he's looked terrible beforehand no, the so. guy looks like yeah. an oil painting in everything that he does but yeah in this apparently uh, even better than usual so strap yourselves in um, yeah anything else to mention oh uh, Pacific Rim Uprising yes yes you're yes, in I'm in you were know, in yeah I remember yeah, your, no, I your responses I am in I'm very excited about more Pacific Rim I know the first one's got its faults but I really enjoyed it and I love I love how stupid it is I love how over the top it is I love there was a character called Stacker Pentecost <laughs> uh, like, genuinely I know it's a bit shit but I really like it and I've got a feeling this one won't be any good but John Boyega's in it this time around sounding creepily like Idris Elba from the first film I thought mm. in that very brief trailer but I'm I'm excited anyway yeah I mean I was really excited for Pacific Rim and then saw it and kind of just, just felt quite a disappointment like there's, there's amazing stuff in that first film so I hope this goes the right yeah. way I really do I really do uh, we can close out with uh it's not really a highlight, I don't think, but Jigsaw, which even on YouTube, it says Jigsaw uh, brackets a Saw trilogy, uh, a Saw sequel. Sorry, just to make that clear to everyone. So the Saw films have been away for a little while. They're coming back in uh, Halloween, like always. Um, why? I don't know. I think we'll move on, to be honest. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot to say, really, is there? It looks, you said that it looks like they're going for a sort of more comedic tone. Well, perhaps. I've read they're going for a slightly more light-hearted tone and maybe it'll take itself a little bit less seriously. And it's but. sort of self-referential, which I, I said at the time when we were watching the trailer, I think it's the complete wrong way to go, yeah. at least for me anyway. like I want those Saw films to be dark and horrible and, and you know, the the, the sequence in Saw 2 where the girl's in the pit of needles, like that was pinnacle Saw for me yeah. and now we're over here, so yeah, yeah, not really bothered about that one. No, so that's, that's kind of what we're excited about comic-con if you're excited about anything else or you think we've missed anything then by all means let us know and of um, course reviews for these things are going to come in due course as well i mean we've got the the film stacking up from sort of what october onwards yeah in terms so. of these releases that we've been talking about now so yeah those reviews are around a not too distant corner I think. but that takes us out of the foyer and we'll be back shortly with popcorn movies Uh, 
And indeed, here we are back with Popcorn Movies. Um, Pete, you can go first this week because we've messed around with the run order a little bit. So uh, what's your first popcorn movie this week? Okay, well, I have a number of things that I could have chosen. It's been a more productive week sort of film-wise for me, but I guess I'll cover um, what Maisie knew. This is one that I've tried to catch up with since its release in 2012. Um, the film is... Um, what's interesting about this film, uh, I, I should say, is that it tells the story of a marital breakup between a character played by Julia Moore and a character played by Steve Coogan, but it tells this whole story pretty much from the perspective of the seven-year-old girl at the centre of this broken relationship. Okay. So she's sort of pulled between the two parents. Steve uh, Coogan is off um, I forget what his career is in this but he's he moneyed um, something in, in finance or I don't know and Julianne Moore is a, a kind of ageing but still very popular rock star who's going out on tour neither of them seem to have any particular time for their daughter um, in steps uh, Alexander Skarsgård who plays the younger new boyfriend to Julianne Moore after she's been left by Steve Coogan for the nanny that he runs off with. Um, the, the stuff to recommend it really are another pretty strong big screen performance from Steve Coogan. I think um, in a few films actually he's proved that he's got the chops for, for big yeah. screen work as well as all the incredible stuff he's done on the small screen. And also like serious stuff, not just caricatures that he's mm. sort of famous for um, Julianne Moore's very good in this Julianne Moore's very good in, in most everything that she is involved in I would say um, and the little girl who I think is called Onata April but I might have got the wrong actress um, is is excellent I mean at such a young age so um, yeah and it's kind of cool to see Alexander Skarsgård as well playing like a schlub rather than you know dashing put together kind of figure that he is in a lot of stuff so yeah I enjoyed it um, I don't think that necessarily the way that the film's plotted um, always plays to its strengths okay. I think that the performances are the thing to really recommend it or or for which I would recommend this this film to anybody but yeah that's what Maisie knew from 2012 Okay, my first of this week uh, is a film called McVicar from 1980 uh, directed by a man called Tom Clegg, who I know very little about, to be fair. Uh, but perhaps more interestingly for me, at least, it was starring Roger Daltrey uh, and is made under the umbrella of The Who films. Um, so Roger Daltrey being the lead singer of The Who. Um, it's a pretty engaging prison drama based around um, a real character called John McVicker, um, who did some time in jail and then escaped, uh, went back to jail and ended up being a fairly successful broadcaster. Um, I, I gleaned this from the uh, information in the film. Um, it's pretty good, to be honest. Roger Dolce is actually quite convincing as, as a hard nut uh, and not to be trifled with. Um, the soundtrack is absolutely fantastic, as one might expect from having the Who on the soundtrack. Um, the other songs of the soundtrack are picked up by Jeff Wayne, who did the um, awesome War of the Worlds, uh, kind of the music for like the, the famous like War of the Worlds recording which was really really good um, it's a lot of it was it was good the prison set pieces are solid and engaging um, and the escapes a notable highlight perhaps flags a little bit in the middle um, it jumps from kind of sort of quite intense prison life to McVicker kind of readjusting to the family life which perhaps isn't so well acted uh, but picks up again at the end uh, and delivers a pretty exciting finale. So if you haven't seen McVicker and you are a fan of The Who, I'd say it's unlikely you probably haven't seen it. But I have not. Even seen for it. other people who perhaps aren't fans of so much fans of The Who, uh, McVicker is certainly worth your time. Um, second for me this week is 
The Killer Inside Me. This was a pretty controversial 2010 release from the yes. prolific director Michael Winterbottom, and it stars a man who's come to even more prominence since, uh, Casey Affleck, for sort of good and, and bad reasons, I, I would guess. In this film, he plays a character who is, I think he says, literally split down the middle. He's battling with his own demons throughout, and his demons generally win. Um, he's a local, like a detective in a in a southern community, and very early in the film, one of the first sequences, he goes to investigate a prostitute played by Jessica Alba, who he then savagely beats, um, and a, some a sort of relationship begins between the two characters. Um, his girlfriend partner at the time is played by Kate Hudson in a particularly sort of dowdy, sort of downplayed role. Um, and then in this year, you've got a couple of other actors uh, of note, Bill Pullman, high on that list, and Ned Beatty. So here's my take on this. You've seen this, haven't you? Paul? I have, yes. It's not an easy one. No one's going to come out of it and sort of shrug their shoulders, I don't think. Um, I felt that Casey Affleck's casting in this film was misjudged. Because I think that when we've got this character who, as I say, is supposed to be so divided down the middle, but but, you know showing trying to convey to the audience that there is inner conflict his performance is dialed down so low as to feel like i only ever see one side of that divide you you see the brutality you see the violence you see the the uncommunicative uh, sort of near muteness of this guy but the pull and appeal that a sort of psychopath kind of figure like that might have and seems to have from the evidence we have on screen on people around him doesn't really add up for me. Um, And I think that's where this thing didn't quite work. Now, like, in terms of the way it's organised, this kind of neo-noir environment, the way that it's shot, the look of the film, I think actually there's some really fine work in in, uh, The Killer Inside Me, but I just felt as a character study of a man trying to deal with demons that, okay, we don't have, you know, touch wood, these demons maybe at this level to deal with. But everybody here, I'm sure everybody listening to this, has those times where you, you question, like, what am I capable of? Or, like, how is there evil in me? Is there, is there uh, could I do something, like, mm. truly awful? And I just found that Casey Affleck was so dialed down that it, that investigation just couldn't really take place. So what we're left with is, is this rather sort of cardboard feeling character moving from violence to self hatred to more violence. I mean, am I? Am no, I it's, in, it's interesting you say that because I I must have. It's not been that many years since I watched it, and I'll be perfectly frank with you, Pete. I don't really remember a great deal about the film. I remember it looking very nice, as you've just said there. You've reminded me of a few things that happened, but for me. It's almost, it hasn't really stuck in my mind and I find Casey Affleck an actor that I'm going to probably say a little bit overrated to be honest I, I, I don't. well I think of late he's really like got to that status of just being a bit overrated because I think he's a perfectly capable actor yeah and I just think he's always so dialed down yeah I kind of yeah I kind of share I see where you're coming from on that one I'll, uh, I, I would uh, and I mean, I'll co-sign on that you can't like so my last point on this I'll get out of this one but like it's very hard also to counter the um, the accusation that's been levelled at this film that the director lingers on sec- like violent sexualized content because when you've got like a female character being beaten but then the camera chooses to fixate on like the jiggling of her mm. like, ass in that sequence for longer than feels necessary then it feels like what are we 
doing here at mm. a certain point and and so I think Michael Winterbottom is a director who throws a lot at the wall and not all of it sticks and I feel like the intent was to make an adaptation of the source material that would challenge people and this does challenge people but I don't think it challenges people in the right way or with enough finesse to achieve its clearly stated intent I would say about the no, I think that, that's that's pretty much fair to be honest as I said I didn't really remember enough of it to comment so that should give you some indication <laughs> it of probably how does, it is, yeah. to be fair so what um, have you got second man I've got one of the worst films I think I've possibly ever seen uh, at second up for popcorn movies um, it was 50p on blu-ray which is the only reason we bought it and I was intrigued because I'd heard it was a car crash I'll put everyone out of their misery the film I'm talking about is of course sex tape Directed by Jake Kasdan. Do, do you think they could have put that on the poster? Like, it'll be 50p on Blu-ray. Yeah. That'd be like quite <laughs> yes. a good quote for this. And this is sex tape starring Jason Segal and Cameron Diaz as a couple... I'm doing this who... all episode this time, Paul, but I think it's Seagull rather than Seagal. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Steven yeah. Seagal, Jason Seagal. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter because his performance in this is drivel. Um, the, the, just, to, the, just to set this up for anyone who isn't aware, it stars the Jason Segel and Cameron Diaz as a couple who decide to spice up their sex life uh, by making a sex tape that then gets inexplicably shared onto a number of iPads that they have somehow managed to give out to everyone else. With hilarious, With consequences. hilarious consequences. Yes. Now, firstly, the first sort of half an hour of the film is just them having sex occasion shows them having sex kind of kind of um it's awkward they have no on-screen chemistry whatsoever and it's just painfully painfully awkward and not funny at all um we then lead up to the scenes um, just we then lead seem to have loads of scenes which are seem to have been paid for by apple in which cameron diaz throws an ipad out of the window jason seagal um goes downstairs to pick up the iPad and says oh look how resilient it is comments are made about oh look how good the sex video is because of the quality of the iPad camera this right. is the new iPad with the retina display you get the point the whole thing is a glorified iPad advert somehow he works in a job where he is just given iPads that he can then just give out to everyone so they've given an iPad to the postman they've given an iPad to their best friends and it, just none of this none and, of this and, rings and true. they make absolutely sure this lo- is locked into a complete uh, irrelevance in the future not only yeah. with the poor quality of the film but with the fact that they so constantly re- like reference yeah. technology at the time not least the cloud you can't stop hammering yeah. about the fucking cloud where is your iPad at the moment it, oh it's in that character's hand and look there's an iPad in the centre of this shot so everyone involved in this needs to be ashamed uh, and not just because of the product placement it's just not funny Jason it was Segal's, just an excuse. Jason performance is one of the worst I've seen of anyone by anyone ever in this film I'm sorry it was just Beyond bad. I don't mind that guy, but I don't think he has on-screen chemistry with anyone, does he? No, but he, he's had more. He's had more. What? Forgetting about Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He was okay yeah, in that. Yeah, sure. Uh, Rooney Mara in that in that thing we were talking about recently. The, the discovery. Uh, the discovery. Yeah. yeah. No, no chemistry there either. No, that's fair. But this this is just bad, and like the, just it's it's embarrassing for everyone involved. It's a completely laugh-free experience. It's absolutely abysmal, and every again, everyone should be ashamed. I'm moving on. Yeah, I mean, they could have just gone, hey guys, do you know that Cameron Diaz looks good in her pants? Okay, we'll stop, we'll cease production of this film now, move on with our lives. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, there was there was no need, I don't think. Yes. Right, well, that brings us to the end of the official popcorn section, but yes. it doesn't bring us to the end of this little bit of reviewing that we're doing, because we've still got homework yes. to uh, talk about, which was set last week than none other by, by none other than our very <laughs> yeah. own Jack Mills. Jack, what did you set us homework uh, last week? So, last week, 
uh, after I reviewed um, Strangers on a Train by Alfred Hitchcock, I set the two lads uh, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, which is a classic film that I enjoyed thoroughly when I was younger. Um, and knowing that they'd probably seen it, I thought we'd just have a little discussion about what they thought. Lead us off, Jack. Lead us off. So, this is Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth 2006. I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show before, have we? I don't think we have. Unless no. it was in I a think it's probably his second, his second best film after Pacific Rim. Yeah? This, would you, would you think? <laughs> yeah. this is <laughs> lunacy. We're not starting from that position. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think this film for me, uh, I said on the show last week that it was one of the first ways for me into films with subtitles. Uh, I love the Spanish setting, uh, the fact that it's based sort of loosely around the war, in the war um, as well, uh, World War Two, I believe, uh, so the 1940s. Um, and I just thought Ophelia, uh, who's played by Ivana Baquero, um, I'd probably pronounce that wrong, um, played a really he hasn't good, corrected you, so good be role. Okay. Yeah, Baquero, um, I don't know. So actually, this was probably one of her big breaks, um, as you know, in the film. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really good, and I've watched it so many times that I've forgotten what it was about. So, no, I no, I second that. I think the um, you know the 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 level of imagination on display here is fantastic. It kind of feels like an even darker, almost like an Alice in Wonderland kind of tale. I think. Um, and some, yeah, the imagination on display here, some of the creature design, and Absolutely. just the atmosphere of the film. I think it's, you know, it's one of his. It's certainly one of his finest films. Um, yeah, and for me, uh, not, not Pacific Rim. That was a joke, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, certainly it's one of his finest films. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can't really speak highly enough of Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like this adult fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah. The whole thing, and, and it's, it's so it's savagely violent in places as well. There's moments of violence that just hit home so oh, hard. The mouth yeah. slicing yeah. section, yeah. Yeah. the smoke oh, coming out of yeah. the incredible stuff, and, and like pulled off visually with like the sort of aplomb that you've come to expect from Guillermo yeah. del Toro but um, yeah I wanted to, to mention about the film as well that like oh yeah all the kind of visual effect stuff like the little mandrake root thing that's underneath the bed that's yeah. going to grow over time the drawing of a door on the wall in chalk and then stepping through into that world like populated by Doug Jones is the guy I think who did yeah. the, the character with the eyes eyeballs and his hands and stuff like that like just creativity the like of which we so rarely see yes. brought to life on this kind of scale I suppose right yeah. so yeah I just remember this having like a really big impact on me back yeah t- what 10 years ago 11 years ago now and um, it's definitely one that I've gone back to four or five times since then which for me actually is pretty rare I'm not a big one for re-watching films so th- no yeah. I think I've gone back to it a number of times a lot well. right I have a, I've got a steel book yeah of course you have of course you have any film that you vaguely like I think you've got the steel book somewhere around here or it's on the way in the post um, what were we going to say oh, oh yeah one more thing um, if you haven't seen it I would recommend The Devil's Backbone um, similar era given to Toro and I think a little bit underseen I, would say. I haven't seen Devil's Backbone I have seen Kronos which is really really good and again kind of he's you know there's quite a bit in um, Pan's Labyrinth where he's clear and if you look at Hellboy 2 as well like Del Toro yeah. is definitely fascinated with clocks and clockwork stuff did he direct kind of the um, orphanage as well um, no, no that no. was Antonio Bayona but it was presented by Guillermo because yes, so he was like a director that, that he yeah. sort of took under his wing and oh, okay. then worked with him yeah. 
So it has a, a lot in common, I yeah, think. Yeah, 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 has a lot of that, that style. So, yeah, thank you for that, Jack. Um, oh, and Crimson Peak, sorry. You've got to mention yes, that. Crimson Peak. Crimson like Peak was awesome, yeah. Um, so, yes. So, are, we are going to set you some homework this week, Jack. Fantastic. Um, which I think is what we may do going forward. It's going to be the... Uh, Adults setting the kids some homework, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, okay. So we'll, right. we'll, give you a bit, we'll give you a bit of grief. We'll give you a bit of so grief. You're going to put in the, the kiddie corner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, obviously, we'll think of an amazing name by next um, week. Yes, well, homework. <laughs> yeah. I still want to see, yeah, I still want to call it jacked up. Okay, jacked up. Maybe, maybe jacked up. So, yes. Well, we're going to set you uh, because uh, we are reviewing Dunkirk shortly. Uh, in this very show, in fact, uh, we're going to set you uh, Christopher Nolan's first uh, feature, which is Memento, um, which is an awesome film. And do you know anything about it? Because if you don't leave it, keep it like that. Do yeah, not don't do any reading trailer, about it. Don't read yeah, information. Yeah, honestly, don't, don't ask. Anyone. Yeah, don't ask any questions about it. Don't watch the trailer. Just go okay. into Memento Cold. It's awesome. It stars Guy Pearce, and we hope to. Well, we think it's awesome, and we'll hear your thoughts next week. Cool. I look forward to it. Thank you should. You should. Good okay. stuff. Well, that brings us to the end of this section. We'll be back shortly with our feature review of, well, the aforementioned Chris Nolan's Dunkirk. So, Dunkirk, Pete, um, I'll, I'll set the scene a little bit. So, I think not that the scene really should need setting on this, to be honest. Uh, this is the latest release from Christopher Nolan, who, as regular listeners may be aware, is one of my favourite directors. Pete, not so much, I think, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, so, Dunkirk is basically, uh, for me, a very interesting take on certain events in World War Two, which was the mass evacuation of the failed invasion of Europe. Um, and this film is just focused on the mass evacuation rather than the events leading up to it, which you've seen many, many times before. Um, and that kind of that kind of sets the scene really. You, you're focused on, I think, three sort of three different areas, three different characters. There's uh, the narrative. The narrative isn't linear. You're jumping around times. You're jumping around time scales a bit. Um, you kind of focus on Tom Hardy's Spitfire pilot. Then you've got I forget forget some of the actors' names, which is remiss of me to be honest. Um, the scenes with um, Harry Styles' character, which is more directly on the beach, and then you've got uh, Mark Rylance and his family who uh, are tasked um, by the civilian Ty Sheridan fleet. Ty Sheridan on that boat as well. Ty yeah. Sheridan, yeah, tasked by the civilian fleet to come over and um, and help rescue the soldiers. Um, I think that kind of sets it up. Yeah, well I mean, enough, to be honest. yeah, you, you've done well to mention those three points because uh, really that that is it, isn't it? It's like air, land. And see, yes. and Chris Nolan has very clearly set out here that we're not going to dwell with one of those areas for too long without keeping up the kind of spinning plates, which are the others all converging on this one giant and significant situation in World War Two. So, um, the first of all, coming into the movie, you said, "Yeah, maybe I'm not so much of a fan as Chris Nolan of Chris Nolan as you are," and I think to a degree that's becoming increasingly true. Don't get me wrong, from the start of this review, I want to be very clear. Christopher Nolan is an incredibly talented technical film director and he has produced some of the most uh, like astonishing feats of sort of um, bravura cinema in the last 10, 15 years, right? And I have so many positive things to say about Christopher Nolan. But yes, overall, there are particular reasons why I feel... I can't, I just can't be a, a Christopher Nolan like acolyte anymore. Mm. I just can't. And, and I'll kind of go into that a bit as we get going. But to set the film, the beginning of the film up, I thought that sequence that opens Dunkirk was one of the best sequences Chris Nolan has ever shot. I think technically, I, I, kind of, I think I'll start with the positive because I really, really, really enjoyed Dunkirk. But you're with me on the opening. Right? I'm with you on the opening. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the opening. I just, I just think 
the whole film though as you say is is a te- is just a technical marvel uh, you know and in terms of what no what in terms of spectacle cinema i don't think anyone can rival nolan at the moment the uh the dogfight scenes were fantastic they're just like second to none i've never seen aerial combat done that well on the big screen um the, the the film itself has got a very intense pace to it i think i read somewhere that he cited speed as one of his influences because of the pacing of the film it's only an hour and 45 minutes which is very unusual for a nolan movie i expected it to be longer um and i, I like the fact that it wasn't i thought for me it was possibly the most intense cinematic experience since mad max and i would say go and see it in imax although it's very very loud and will probably hurt your ears people are going to take issue with that i think uh but the, it it sounds fantastic it looks amazing uh and i think just as a, as a as a cinematic experience for me it was a five star experience it just it picked me up and didn't put me down and i i loved it i i really really loved it it's not a perfect film by any stretch and I, you know, and there are people that have been saying he's now in the same league as Kubrick, and potentially compare this to Paths of Glory. It's no Paths of Glory, don't get me wrong, but it's still a superb film. Yeah, so we had this conversation. I want to bring it onto the airport where uh, you would had originally. I mean, star ratings we both know are pretty flawed in terms yeah. of like a way to summarise a film, and they're a bit glib and they don't really get across what you want to get across. But you had originally said, I think this film might be a five-star film. And yeah. you were talking about Paths of Glory, which I'm, I'm yet to see and I have to catch up with, but you had said, yeah, but it's no Paths of Glory. Like, it doesn't touch Paths of Glory. And I was like, well, what are you going to do with Paths of Glory then? Is that a six-star film? Is that a seven-star film? Yeah. Where's that scale <laughs> going? And then you were saying, yeah, well, maybe I could temper my sort of rating for whatever it's worth on this film. So you see that there are flaws here. Right? I don't think it's a perfect and, and film. every really film yeah. has flaws. But, yeah. okay, I, I want to talk about... Probably doesn't. The, the, <laughs> the elephant in the room, as far as my uh, review is concerned anyway, is that I think the, the biggest issue I had with this film is the uh, musical uh, direction, uh, composition work of one Hans Zimmer, who I feel like is out of control. Because, like you're saying, you know, we've got all of this stuff, like... Chris Nolan, everything is like a Rube Goldberg machine where everything's got to like this knocks onto this, which goes to this, mm. and then we've got to cut to a different chronology because I'm not sure why it creates some disorientation. In this film, I get that it kind of works, but then throughout we have this kind of hand zimmer that we're used to. <laughs> uh, sorry, listeners, for that if that's uh, made your ears bleed, and then also bringing in things like the stop clock stopwatch that's in the background here is this sort of sounds like a sort of speeded up metronome that goes through so many sequences in this film as to lose its impact and then continues past and i'm not spoiling quote unquote the film to say, it finishes, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that we get a sequence towards the end where things are better a bit better and they're, they're set in in britain but the met the position at which they choose, and this is collaborative, at the level that Chris Nolan works at, this is collaboration with Hans Zimmer, right? The point at which they cut that stopwatch effect, stop clock effect, is baffling to me. Mm. Baffling. And if you, if we even talk about Nolan being on the level of Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick is such a meticulous director. Like, this is the number one thing you would talk about with Stanley Kubrick, is like, every choice is so deliberate and yeah. so calculated. If that's a calculated choice, I'd love to hear the explanation for it, because for me... It, it fell on its face. And when the, the score becomes, like, makes itself, declares itself so prominently, I'm, look, I'm listening out so intently for what we're doing with the score and how that's helping or hindering the message and the impact of the film. And I just felt like this is the most egregiously 
core that's ever been from Hans Zimmer, who is a composer I think that I, I'm increasingly sort of tiring of okay. anyway. Um, so yeah, th- that's that's the big, I guess, first problem I have. Other than that, I thought in IMAX, you're right, it's an incredible experience. I, I felt at times, I felt a bit sick. Mm. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe because it puts you in that sort of wartime situation, you know. I did feel a bit queasy. It is very... Not really so much as loud, but like the dogfight stuff you were talking about and the movement yeah. of camera on that kind of an IMAX screen. It's like, like you've said before about using VR. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a bit much. Like, that sounds pathetic considering I had to, had to do nothing, you know, so uh, challenging as a walk to the cinema yeah. instead of like being on the beach of Dunkirk. But like, yeah, that, that was a lot. It was a lot. This film is a lot. That's how I would, would sort of review it, I think, overall. But then, yeah, lots of positive things as well. Not least um, some of the performances. The guy from One Direction was all right, wasn't he, in the end? Yeah, he was in it, yeah. Uh, Tom Hardy, I thought, was fantastic as the stoic um, Spitfire pilot. I think Tom Hardy's always great, to be honest. Tom Hardy, obsessed with wearing stuff on his face, it yes. seems like. In, yes. in he almost, he did actually there. look a lot like Bane in this film, in really? general, to be wow. honest. Because he had the, the, the fighter jacket, like traditional sort of RAF fighter jacket that made him look a lot like Bane. And, and obviously with the pilot's mask Did he mumble? Well. Oh, we he, had a, he had a pilot's mask on, so there was oh, a moment right. so we thought maybe it's Bane, Bane in a yeah, plane. Okay. Bane in a plane, that's what Dunkirk should maybe <laughs> be called. In Bane in a plane. Uh, no, but I just, you know, I, I loved it. I, I really rate him as a director. But don't I don't you, think it's but flawless. Don't you see, but, so I don't want to leave this, because we sometimes leave these reviews where you go like, yeah, no, I know it's flawed, but you know, overall it's good. No, I agree with you. But like, what, what, what have you got to say about what I'm saying? Because... Do you think that's just not true? Do you feel... I don't disagree. I like the sound. I like the pacing of it. I like the soundtrack. I thought it made it intense. I would say that I'm very glad it was only an hour and 45 minutes long. Uh, and there are there are times where I think actually you need, probably need to start wrapping things up now because this is just becoming sort of flagrant war porn. Like the last sequence but, either, like it was so bland. Chris Nolan is this like formally inventive director, but like so very standard when it came to the way he decided to wrap up this film. I, I, I don't. I don't understand that choice again. I think I for me, I, for me, I, I, I do. I kind of see where you're coming from in the end. For me, I can forgive its, I can forgive its shortcomings because it was such a, such an enter, because it was such a good cinematic experience. So for me, the good outweighed the bad. But think about, okay, think about a couple of other Nolan films. Think about the way Inception finishes. Yeah. And everyone, whoa, okay, we're left with that. Whether you yeah. think that's clever or, or too clever for its own good, it's an incredible way to end a film. Uh, think about the way that uh, a film like The Prestige finishes. Where you got that moment where like the rugs pulled away, and you're like, "Whoa, this director!" You know, and in this film, it was like it's like making a TV special. Or but I don't actually think that. I don't think the the. It's, it's funny to say this. I don't actually think the film is about the end. I think because everyone no, knows sure, how it ends sure. anyway. Of course, it's not so, about the end, but it's still about the way that you deal with put bringing your film into the station. You know, like they're on a train. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, bringing your film to a close. I mean, that's. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the material needs to be treated with a lot of care. This is history. This is reality. This yeah. is not a joke. And it's not all about Christopher Nolan. I'm harping on about him a lot. Um, at the same time, you know, we've chosen to bring this to the screen again. And did you feel like, I don't know, maybe I talk about this too much, but like, wh- why why now? Because why? we talked about before, Leslie Norman, Barry Norman's yeah. father, was the guy who directed the, the previous version of, of the Dunkirk landings. Why? Is that did you did you feel that question in your mind as you watched this, or did you just think, oh, it's a great experience? You know, it's an experience. no. I thought it was a great experience. I don't really, you know, as as to why now, I don't know. You know, maybe he decided to to write something now. I think what I will say is, in terms of there was an interview with a one of the few remaining survivors of the Dunkirk evacuation uh, who left the film in tears and said it was exactly what it was like. So. Mm. 
I would I would bow to his opinion on whether it was accurate or not, and whether it was worth doing. If he's in tears and saying it was a faithful recreation, well, I'm not calling then... it question of being accurate, no, no, Paul. No. I'm saying I'm saying that I just think filmically they were trying. Like to be honest with you, and I don't want to sound cold about this, but like I'm not a person who's particularly like I don't have reverence, like have reverence for the people who are involved in those mm. battles. But when things are brought to screen that come from history, so often we have to go like, oh, it's so brave. Oh, you know, well done. What a what a valid. Like I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I think you make a choice to put this stuff on screen and to a certain degree you're going to catch a particular audience just like if you make a film like uh, uh, you know about Christianity for example you're going to catch a certain audience who are guaranteed to go and see the name Chris Nolan in a war film about real history right and there's a, a level of cynicism I think somewhere lurking in the bottom of that to, to begin with but I think there's, yeah, there's a level of cynicism every time someone steps behind a camera when there's of that course, much budget involved of course there is but yeah, I, think, I, I sound know. really down on it and I'm not yeah. down on it man I just I, I just yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was fine. It was it was fine. It was like a, a war brought to the screen in 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 sort of stunning detail, uh, and there's still the hearts missing from the the Tin Man director that is. Christopher I would Nolan. probably agree that it, it, it lacked the human touch. I thought uh, you know I don't think that's what he was going for this time round. I don't think he particularly. But it's a film about young boys no, dying on the beach. It. Like this is this is the issue I have, man. Like yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like. How are you supposed to feel? Like round of applause, Chris Nolan made a, a really good war film. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I see no harm in Chris. I feel angrier about it now than I did yeah, after. I, I didn't feel that. angry afterwards. No. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can see. I I take your criticisms on board. It didn't have perhaps. It didn't have perhaps the heart it needed to have. It's actually saying it was an hour and forty five minutes. The way mm. the way he structured the film, I thought it needed to be an hour and forty five minutes. Perhaps a, a longer film may have worked better. It might have in, may, might have introduced some more characters. As it stands, I don't think it. I don't think it. It did need that. I think it achieved what it wanted to go for. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, war films, whether they be historical or not, are you know, in a more cynical way to put it, they are another genre of filmmaking. Mm. And for me, it was very interesting to see Nolan take his turn his hand to a war film. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I I agree with you. I, I co-sign with you on that. I I thought some of the the particular set pieces in it as well. It's amazing, amazing mm. stuff. But you know, we said this off mic when we talked about this. You know, when we first seen the film the standard that you hold someone like Chris Nolan to is so high that when I come to do this review, I hope people understand that, like, these are criticisms based on a director that's held in such high esteem. Yes. If you want people to say Chris Nolan is a talented director, just look at, what, 97% or whatever yeah. this got Metacritic right now. I just want to bring maybe another perspective, and that's just the way I felt coming out yeah. of this one. No, that's fair, that's fair. All right, well, after this brief break, we'll be back with a review of Mike Nichols' The Graduate. Right, well, Pete, now you've had a chance to catch your breath um, <laughs> and hopefully hopefully calm down just, just a touch. Um, do you want to set up The Graduate? For those people out there who aren't aware of the film The Graduate, we'd not, we'd not seen this before Tuesday, had we? So, no, um, which no, is pretty shameful. Of no, us, we hadn't, but so. then, as we said before, you know, it was really cool that this thing was brought back to the big screen. You know, we sort of piss and moan a lot about, like, chain cinemas and whatnot, but... I think it's great when you see something revived, particularly, like you say, something that you've somehow missed out on seeing or just yeah. haven't got around to seeing. Um, yeah. What can I say about The Graduate that hasn't been said before? Uh, um, should, do you want to set it up briefly for, for those who haven't seen it? Perhaps? Yeah, it, it centres around Dustin Hoffman's character. He's a sort of graduate who doesn't know where to go next. Um, he All around him are sort of the influences of, of family and peers and particularly sort of an older generation. It's very much a film about generations. We'll get to that. Um, 
pulling him in different directions and trying to like have his ear and give him um, some advice about where he should go what he should do and why he should do it what life's about how to be a man that kind of thing and in this particular summer at the end of college he has a chance encounter with the character uh, played by Ang Bancroft who is a sort of family friend who uh, to whom he gives a lift home one evening and then is uh, to a greater or lesser degree seduced um, in various ways by this older, more experienced, definitely more jaded member of society than, than himself. Um, yeah, I mean, have I missed something? What, no, what I, think that, I think that covers it. Yeah, I think, I think that covers it, covers it well. Um, yeah, as I said, I've not seen this before, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and what I got was actually a film that was much funnier um, than I was anticipating, to be honest. And, and the humour work, I thought Dustin Hoffman's performance was great. I thought Anne Bancroft's performance as the Mrs. Robinson was was fantastic as well, um, and the chemistry between them I thought in the, the first half of the film was was absolutely superb, um, and I very much enjoyed sort of her her winding him up and his his very awkward. I thought it was almost almost Rain Man s performance with his with his uh, his, his sort character of quirks and yeah. his kind of lack of self awareness yeah. um, and his and his sort of virginal like innocence and and uh, yeah yeah bumbling nervous. And that, there was that there's an awesome scene uh, in the swimming pool as well where he's he's end up in the diving suit that was very bizarre. There was some it was little bizarre twists that I thought that I thought were really good actually that, that I didn't expect to be there. I expected more of a well and sort of not, this, not maybe maybe I was thinking maybe more of a hard hitting drama I was expecting about this kind of student seduced by a teacher kind of relationship thing I was maybe expecting it to be harsher in tone and, and I and I like the fact it wasn't I don't think it was a hundred percent successful for me though I think the the bits where um he's kind of separated from Anne Bancroft and going after the daughter Elaine I think her name is if I remember rightly I don't think they work quite as well as the as the relationship with the Anne Bancroft character but I you know I, th- I thought there was, there was there was a lot to like here yeah, I mean, she, she though, is an absolute delight, I think. Catherine Ross is the, mm. the actress who plays the, the younger member of the Robinson family, which is, yeah, what I egregiously left out of my uh, my lead-in to this is, yes. yeah, the, the big sort of dramatic... Where the stakes are in this film, I suppose, are where this rivalry, you could say, between mother and daughter ensues, and, and you see a turn with the Anne Bancroft character where she comes from a position of sort of such power and control mm. in the, those opening exchanges with Dustin Hoffman and then that's undercut by the like her own it's already in existence clearly but like her own wrestling with aging and with her own sort of um future irrelevance if not increasing the increasing irrelevance in the world uh, with which she's used to sort of commanding people with such sort of power and, and grace and charm I mean even stuff and this has probably been talked about to death by people far more intelligent than me but like the stuff with her um, smoking and yeah. these kind of visual motifs that you get throughout this film like yeah you mentioned the thing in the swimming pool so you've yeah. got this character literally almost drowning yeah. in the situation that he's in or at least looking through to sort of murkiness above him right which is not accidental then you've got this older sort of cougar figure that prefigures mm. cougars being yeah. a thing uh, smoking cigarettes that are the, the greatest sort of metaphor for uh, the sort of uh, sexual climax and then death yes. right absolutely um, so yeah I really liked it Paul I really liked it I thought that just like the comedic stuff worked for me um like i say the sort of visual language i thought was was really like clever and inventive and the Anne Bancroft performance you've already mentioned but i just think is is yeah, fantastic yeah, in, in this film yeah. But yeah i 
I mean, this is coming from the same director who went on to make uh, Closer and, and Declare is an adaptation of a stage play, but mm. the, the heart is a fist wrapped in blood. Yes. I mean, in this film, um, I don't think there's anything that hard-hitting, but it's below the surface. Like, bubbling below this film is confusion and sadness and insecurity, I think, that, that yeah, I really enjoyed. And can I just mention, and then um, I will shut up for this episode... Um, the last shot in this film. I'm a big one on last shots in films. I know I would I'd give you that. Fucking great. The last shot is great. I think, as I said, even even though for me, I think it, it suffers a little, and it is only a little because I, you know, I still would would say, you know, going, I would say that it's still an overwhelmingly positive review, and I did really, really like the film. Although I think that the relationship with Elaine isn't quite as interesting as the one with with Mrs. Robinson. Um, I second that on the on the final shot. I think that was. I think that was fantastic but then I suppose maybe relationships with women of your own age aren't as interesting as relationships with women you're older when you're at that age well right? yeah maybe because not, you yeah. have that experience you might I mean I don't know but when you're watching this did you not have that experience that most males of a certain age would have had particularly if I'd watched them when I was younger but where you think like I want to be I so badly I want to be with her I want her to educate yeah. me I want to just come into your smoky thrall yeah. and then later on you also because we're a little bit older than the central character here you have that recognition of like the passing of time and the sadness that is sort of um, absolutely inherent in a character like that as well so yeah I, I'm I'm sort of gobsmacked that it's taken me this long and us this long to catch up I with agree it, yeah I'm yeah. really really enjoyed this yes I very much very much enjoyed it as well and I think that's going to make it Paul my film of the week oh okay what's my film of the week this week it's got to be Dunkirk from what you were saying it's got to be Dunkirk yeah yeah it's got to be it's a big hitter I was thinking no the the, the only reason I was just making a decision is whether it would be it might have been sex tape <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was sort of oh, just just trying to purchase, yeah exactly. Know. I was trying to mull it over. So yeah. uh, yes, so that nearly well that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. Um, next week we'll be back with uh, a feature review, certainly of the big sick. Um, yeah, it's the Kamel Ninjani yes. relationships comedic drama story that we've talked about before, which I've seen. I'm not going to give away what I thought. Yeah, please. No, don't. I'm, no I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But I've I've been lucky enough to see that already. Um, yeah, so we'll be back next week with that, the big sick, um, um, with one other, right? Um, possibly one other. Um, we're confirmed. trying, it, trying to be hounds of love. Um, if Cine will give in to me abusing them on Twitter, try and get them to show it, but I don't think it will work. Um, so possibly not hounds of love, which would be a shame. Um, but yes, and then obviously uh, Jack will have watched Memento, so we'll be back with that. We're back with the usual popcorn movies and cool man. Yeah, and I'm so. I'm looking forward to talking some more about Christopher Nolan, and honestly, not just to slag him off yeah. or say where his faults are. <laughs> I love that movie, so yeah, that's something to look forward to as well for sure. Yes, uh, but that's it. So it's, it's goodbye from me, Paul. It's goodbye from me, Pete. Goodbye from me, Jack. See you next time. <laughs>